say my name until the city burns and the stars fade away and your scars don't hurt i will hold you till the sun comes crashing down i'm yours until the end of time hey everyone welcome to the restored to more podcast a listener supported podcast that is dedicated to restoring marriages to wholeness in christ after being affected by pornography and sexual brokenness After betraying charity with pornography and unwanted sexual behavior, we had no idea how to rebuild our relationship or even if it was possible to restore what was broken. Today, by God's grace, we have learned how to connect again, laugh again, and rebuild spiritual, emotional, and sexual intimacy to an even greater experience than before. Our goal is that as you hear our story, the stories of others, and the knowledge needed to heal, you too can have a marriage that is becoming restored to more. I'm yours until the end of time. Update everyone. Course one registrations are back open. Whoop, whoop. This is an eight week course starting Thursday, September 14th. That is designed to help you and your spouse start the journey to becoming restored to more. It will be led by R2M certified coaches, Cody and Michelle Larson. We will be focusing on how to cultivate safety and trust, healthy communication, deal with triggers, and begin to discover how God can use crisis to create closeness. You can see all the details on our website and can register today at www.restoredtomore.com slash courses. Also, if you have appreciated this podcast, a great way to say thank you is leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. These reviews help more people find the podcast and experience hope and healing. Say my name until the city. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Restored to More. We are so excited to talk about this topic of relapsing after sex and how sex was not what we needed to solve or for what I needed to solve an addiction. It's not what charity could give me to fix me. And I think that we just had so many questions in this area that we thought, man, we should do a podcast topic about this because we get asked these questions all the time. Is that right? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Well, I think just so you know that you're not alone, like we lead couples through our course and we're, we're talking in these groups and I can't tell you how more often than not about probably 90% of couples, including us have this idea in this concept that, well, we were having consistent sex. You know, we mm. were, we were having sex in our marriage. So it was so weird to us. Why? I was still relapsing or why I was still looking at pornography. And when we hear this, it just like breaks my heart because that was us. That was us as a couple. We truly believed like we, our worldview and our spiritual worldview really allowed us to believe and to think that if we have sex, then he will not look elsewhere. Well, that's so powerful. And I think you, you, you nailed it. And that is that it goes back to what we were taught even at a young age. Yeah. Oh my goodness. 100%. Like I'll never forget being in youth group and, you know, being in junior high and having people talk to us about that. They weren't always a youth pastor. It was sometimes even like a mentor at church. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would take all the guys, all right, guys and girls break up. You know, we'd like mm-hmm. go in the guy's room and the girls would go in their room or even on like uh, a camp trip or something like that. We would talk about how we have sexual desire, mm-hmm. but that sexual desire will be completely met when we get married. 
this day, I'm so grateful for people like Julie Slattery and so many others who are talking about really why is that sexual desire inside of us? Mm. What does that look like? And how does it point actually to a relationship with Christ instead of a marriage relationship? And so what happens so often, including in our story, is that we were ill prepared. Mm -hmm. We had misconceptions and we were not prepped in the right way to be taught that sexual desire is not met fully in marriage. Mm. And sexual desire is not a sexual need. Because I think what happened to me is I thought that I needed sex. And so I thought, I need sex. And so, of course, here I am as a young man struggling with pornography, masturbation. But I'm thinking, oh, man, I just can't wait to get married. Because once I get married, all this sexual desire will be completely satisfied Mm. in the act of having sex with my wonderful wife, who's just going to want to have sex as much as me (laughs) all the time. We're just going to be doing it nonstop. And so I just think I even got into marriage with such a misconception and such Mm -hmm. a damaging uh, perspective of really sexual sex being a need. What is sexual desire? All that stuff. Well, yeah, let's, let's talk about that because I think it's really important. I think it's really important to first understand like where did our belief even stem from? Mm. You know, really, it's not about like being angry about it. I mean, you can be angry, but allow that anger to um, drive you to do something deeper so that you can change your perspective and really understand something, right? We say a lot like, instead of getting frustrated, get educated. And I really believe that the first thing Clinton and I had to do is, where did this belief come from? Mm. So my belief sexually was that first of all all men need need sex like they're gonna die yes like they're gonna explode yes i felt i mean i think so sexual desire can be so high yes that it feels like i'm gonna die if i don't climax yeah even at a young age learning to masturbate early on keep going sorry and um, and then going a step further and saying, okay, well, who taught me that all men need sex, yeah. right? Is it, um, and, and in realizing that there are so many different aspects and perspectives that really shape our thinking mm. and our views. And so just some things to think about, but the world, how has the world shaped your sexual view of sex and marriage? Yeah. What about family? You know, what What has family told you? Mm. What about friends? What have friends told you about sex? What about community? What about social media and movies and TV shows? And then what about the church, right? And so I think it's so healthy for us to analyze, okay, there's not just one thing that has probably shaped your understanding of your desires and needs for relationship and sexuality and sex. And so I think it's so healthy to just put those out there and say, what did I learn from all of those? What what were they telling me and how how did that impact me? Because for me, I was told all men need sex. I was also, yeah. No, go ahead. Keep going. Okay. So good. I was also told that if you don't have sex with him, then he'll go elsewhere, mm. right? And uh, And pretty much that guys are the ones who desire it. And I really mm. thought that, I didn't have any influence or any say in that, that my sexuality uh, wasn't really important. And so if that was what I was being told, then why would I 
explored in marriage? Why would I think that I too desire sex and that it's fun for me rather than just a task or a duty or an obligation for me to fulfill for my husband because that is what I was told because he needs it, quote unquote, and I don't want him looking elsewhere. I can't tell you how many women have come to me after I've shared our story and have said, well, were you guys having consistent sex? Maybe there's something you could have done sexually. And I mean, we get that on social media all All the the time. All the time. There are just a perspective out there that says, have sex and yeah. you won't go elsewhere. Yep. Which yep. is so wrong. Oh, totally. Yeah, let's make sure. <laughs> let's you, just say that right sure now. Put that in there. All of that is so wrong. <laughs> wrong thinking, wrong perspective, wrong teaching, wrong influence. Yes. <laughs> like big X. Like, yes. No. And I just want to educate people that so because good. I think there's this wrong, wrong, wrong perspective. And then you get married and then you have sex and You're you are kind of screwed. Confused, hurt, alone, isolated, and you feel like, man, I'm the only one because if this is what everybody else is saying and this is what's happening, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with me? Well, that was powerful. And then it creates all kinds of shame, all kinds of confusion. And then we don't know where to go because what we were taught in church obviously isn't true. Yeah. So then we're like, where do we go to be educated? You know, we were we were driving, we were in um I think it was in Ohio, right? Where we went to the sexual discipleship leadership, Georgia. Thank you. That's not Ohio. (laughs) Uh, We were in Georgia and we were on our way to a conference that Julie was hosting and she had us answer questions in the car. And it was an incredible, powerful moment. Charity and I, I mean, here we are. We already do Restored to More. We already do a podcast weekly. We've already read a few books on the topic of sexuality and Julie's questions brought up brand new conversations yeah. in the car it was awesome. that we had never had. And so the, the two hour drive from where we stayed to the conference was honestly one of the most powerful drives we've ever had in our marriage so far Yeah, because there was crying, there was tears, there was breakthrough, there was this uh, intimacy that was being created because we were knowing about each other. We were learning about each other's past and so I just want to share with you the questions that she asked us for you to take time to journal and sit with them, talk to your spouse about them, ask your spouse these same questions. And hopefully you can have a moment where you get to know each other on a new level mm. like we got to do. One of the questions she asked us was, what did I learn about sexuality from, and there was different categories. So what did you learn about sexuality from your family? And for, for, for me, what I wrote down was things like sex is dirty. Mm. We don't talk about it. Masturbation is Im- is what immature people do. Mm. Uh, the, the, the purity culture is right. Mm. It's all about abstinence until you get married and then go for it. You know, what did you learn about sex and sexuality from your church? Mm. What did your church teach you about sex and sexuality? For me, my church taught me that married sex will be the solution to, to a sex drive. Uh, that if you have sex, that you're a, a damaged, you're a damaged piece. And so if you have sex, you're now damaged and you're less valuable. You actually lose value if you have sex before marriage. Uh, the church taught me that there's a lot of immaturity about it. And so the world is immature and we're more mature by never talking about it. When in reality, people that talk about it normally are more mature and they understand it better. And so that's better to be silent because silent mm-hmm. about it just shows that you're mature and you know all about it. And I just never understood. So the church also taught me that there's, there's the confession of men is maybe not accepted. 
because other men didn't confess to me anything they'd ever done. And so when I came to men and I confessed I had an issue and they didn't counter confess in a good way, like, oh, I also struggle, I felt a lot of shame. And so the, the church told me that all kinds of shame around sex. What does the culture teach you about sex? What kind of messages are you getting from the culture about sex? And there's so many things on here. What was your, well, another question she asked is, what is your early experience with sex? What did you experience sexually as a child? With your parents, with your dad, with your mom, was there some kind of abuse that took place? What was your experience? And what is what is your what is married life taught you about sexuality? What have you what have you interpreted married sex to be like? What are you learning from it, and what are you interpreted as? Mm. Sitting down and answering those questions was so powerful mm. because I got to understand how charity had developed sexually. And why we had gotten married with all the wrong expectations. Charity's sex drive was hugely impacted by the fact that she was sexually abused at a young age. She had other friends who had a sex drive. They wanted, they were very curious about sex. And I know that Charity got to share her, well, that was very damaged for me early on. I interpreted this, that situation as this sexually. And I got to see her through a new light that I really hadn't ever put the pieces together that all these different pieces, church, culture, early childhood, family life, uh, what it looked like, again, just in our faith, all those things have created and formed mm-hmm. our belief in our worldview around sex mm-hmm. and sexuality. Mm-hmm. I just think, I just want to add that to what you're saying, because what you're saying yeah. is powerful. Sometimes I just personally need a question to go home and journal about. So good. No, I'm so glad you did that. That was such a powerful weekend for us. And we're so thankful to authentic intimacy and Julie and everything that she's yeah. taught us. Um, so here we are, right? Two broken people with perspectives and worldviews that totally impact our marriage in the health of sex in our marriage. And so we both get married and we both have the thought and the view that once we are married and then we'll be able to have sex and it will fulfill all the unmet needs mm. for Clinton sexually. Yeah. And so that's what we did. And then realizing that sex wasn't fixing it was so hurtful and eye opening for us. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, you talked about sex not being a need. Yeah. And I'll never forget when I was in a therapy session and I was desiring to get free. I mean, I was, I wanted to be there. I wanted to get this out of my life. I mean, I wanted to because you also were like, I'm divorcing you if you don't. So I had a lot of motivation for my family, for my kids, for my marriage. But also I just hated the fact that I knew that it got right in between the relationship that I have with Jesus all the time. And I felt like I couldn't be the man I wanted to be and was called to be because I continued to go and use pornography and masturbation to meet these needs. And when my therapist said, Clinton, do you believe that sex is not a need? I could tell him, oh yeah, for sure, man. I know, I know, I know, I know. But he was like, no, do you really know that? And I think to know something is to experience it. Do you know that that knife is going to hurt your hand if you put your hand on the knife? Yeah, I know that. You know it a completely different way when your hand falls on the knife or you're cutting vegetables Mm -hmm. and the knife goes through your finger. You now have experienced the fact that that knife will cause damage to your hand. And I think the same thing was true for me. I knew mentally that I didn't need sex because I I read authors that talked about that, but I didn't actually know that I know that I know Mm -hmm. that I didn't need sex. And he started talking about how monks lived 
without having orgasms and how they years and years and years people had been uh, never ever experienced it in their life and they were completely fine. And I went on this journey of trying to experience that to know it. I didn't know it until I experienced it. I'll never forget my first 30 days. And I was like, I, I, it sounds so silly, but I literally was like, I didn't die. Hmm? Like I literally was like, I'm not dead. And, and then I learned how the body just absorbs it and releases it in different ways. And I'm not going to implode if I don't orgasm, all these things. But I, I knew it in my head. I knew it from the books, but I didn't know it until I experienced it. And I just think that sometimes as guys, we need to realize that more and more. And we can, we can act in faith. Sometimes faith can be tested, right? And so as we act in that faith of, I don't really know if I can survive without it, but I'm going to do everything I can to work towards sobriety and abstinence. And we, and we achieve that 30 day mark, 60 day mark, 90 day mark. It's like, oh my gosh, like what is happening? I don't need it as much as I thought I did. And that's just a powerful moment. And I'm just praying that if you're listening, you haven't ever had a 30 day of sobriety, 60 day, 90 day of sobriety that you'd be able to go, man, it's true. I know it in my head, Jesus helped me experience it. And I believe that Jesus Christ himself comes alongside us in that time and helps us not just by just praying, but gives us programs and a therapist and counselors and, and different courses to go through and a coach or somebody to walk with us, a mentor. And I just think that's our faith. That's our action step, right? It's not just praying, but the action step is what do I have to implement? It shows my faith that I want to believe that I don't need this. I'm going to take an action step on that path to experiencing what I know to be true. Now let's talk about, in marriage, once you realize, you know, all this um, is still going on, pornography is still going on, even though you're being having consistent sex, I think there is a deep fear. I know that there was for me that yeah. if we were not having sex, yeah. there was still this deep fear that you are going to look elsewhere. Mm. And so in this 30, 60, 90 day sobriety, I remember being very anxious thinking like, are you sure? Like, because for such a long time, our mindset was, I mean, this is terrible, but our, we used to say like, Hey, it's been three days. Or Clinton would days say he would, whatever. he would have days. He would know yeah. how long had it, it had been since we had sex, which made me feel guilty. And like, Oh my gosh, it's been, you know, a certain amount of days. I'm sorry. You know, like I know that you yeah. need it. And, yeah. and that was our perspective. Yeah. So, so crazy. we would have sex that, you know? out of fear yeah. that, Hey, it's been a certain amount of days. Like, you know, Let's have sex. And so now I'm, it is, it was so hard for me to get it, my head and my brain rewired in the fact of, well, it's been a certain amount of days. Like, you know, if he's doing sobriety, how is he's, if I don't have sex with him, then he's going to look elsewhere. And I want him to look elsewhere to manage me. Yes. Wow. And it was just like such a hard thing to go through. And I remember just taking that time for me to start understanding and healing in those areas while you were taking your time to understand and have sobriety and understand that you don't need it. But I think it's really important to talk about that Mm. and to share even more in depth, um, you know, what these seven desires that we have learned from Mark and Debbie laser, uh, that we all desire things, right? Yeah. Uh, good. and to go there rather than, cause I know we've talked about sex and needs and things like that. Uh, but I think it's important to understand in that time of sobriety and abstinence, what is it important for both of us individually to start doing yeah. 
to connect with Jesus, to heal and to connect with each other. Wow. That's powerful. I feel like I just, I don't even want to go there right now. Cause I want to <laughs> ask you more about what that looked like okay. for you to get married. Fine. And, and no, no. <laughs> I mean, no, I just, we can go there. Okay, it's just, cool. I want to get there. I know the podcast is it's fine. titled. Yeah. Why is he relapsing after we have sex yeah. or something like that? Yeah. And I, I want to, I will get to that answer. Yeah. And I'm excited to go to the seven. But I just think you yeah, said something it. that I don't want to just brush over. Yeah. What podcasting's for? When you, when we started engaging in sex, I personally know because I was the one having sex with you and we experienced <laughs> a very disappointing sexual experience pretty much from the get go. Mm-hmm. Did you have a desire for sex before we got engaged sexually? Was there a desire to be sexual, to engage in that? Did you have a desire? Yes. Yeah. Because I mean, we had, you know, the steamy, (laughs) we had the steamy car sessions and, (laughs) you know, like we would, you know, we would, you know, have some good makeout sessions. And so (laughs) I feel like I couldn't get my hands off you. You know, there's this like excitement and, um, you did always tell me when to stop though. I, I think, did. I, think I always I did because I always I was like, Jesus is in this room. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> we would have had we would have had sex before marriage if it wasn't for charity. For sure. I, I definitely give you the credit and the Holy Spirit inside of you. Good job. Well, I had a very big conviction. I wanted to do things differently with you than yeah. I had done previously. And yeah. I really believed that. You know, I really did believe that if we were going to be pure before, then it would at least yeah. help and it would um we'd get a reward for doing the Christian thing. And unfortunately it's the complete opposite. So, so at what point did you kind of lose the sexual desire and the drive from getting from the makeout, seeing makeout Mm -hmm. sessions to getting married and engaging in sex? Yeah, I think it was, I mean, I think we've talked about this, but it was on our honeymoon and it was immediately when, when there was comments being made about like, man, I thought, that this was going to be easier. You, you would get really frustrated. Yeah. Like you got really, really frustrated, um, in sex because it took work and it wasn't an easy thing and it it wasn't wasn't effortless. It wasn't pornography. Yeah. When you are in the act, I mean, there's really not much you have to do. Let's just be honest about that. You need your hand and that's it, you know? And now you have another person and it is completely different and you have two vulnerable people and it's a beautiful thing, yet I think we just didn't even know how to treat it like the beauty that it deserves. And so when we were intimate, it was like, oh, man. Yep. Like, first of all, ow. Second of all, I still believe like it was a, I didn't know my sexual desire and that I could, you know, be like that. Well, I, I think I, I knew. a safe place, though. Yeah. There wasn't a safe place to be vulnerable, right? Yeah. Totally. What were you going to say? Cut you off, sorry. No, I think I think I knew how to be promiscuous in a way when we were dating of I like, you know, teasing and I liked the the thrill of kissing you and then, you know, being like, "Huh, see you later." Uh, you know, and and I knew how to do that, but I think for me with sex, it was just very different where it's such a vulnerable act intimately mm. with your spouse that I didn't know how to healthily explore in a healthy way. There was so much 
I don't want to say like baggage, but there's so much brokenness that I had that I had brought into our marriage sexually. Hmm. It was so interesting. This is a really cool session right here. It's like we're just having a processing moment and we're sharing it with the world. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Conversations behind the office doors <laughs> with Clinton and Charity Munoz. But I, I, I'm almost seeing it as you talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I, oh, I don't know. For me, I, I get really excited that we're implementing a little more of that lately. Yeah. I mean, you come up behind me, you started kissing me a few times. And, you know, just like, I know you're being sexual. And then it's like, okay, got to go. Bye. And I really like that. I'm like, oh, what? what? Mm-hmm. what? But it makes me more look forward to when we are going to engage with the mm-hmm. kids in bed and things like that too. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can, it's crazy cool how we can reclaim that, yep, you know. You can. Um, but, yeah, there but, was some hurtful things. But staying in it, I, you know, go ahead. That were done in the bedroom because of pornography. 100%. Pornography had really impacted yep. our marriage in the bedroom. Yep. And I don't think we knew that it was going to, and it did. It impacted um, the expectations of that sex was going to be effortless. It was, you know, it was uncomfortable at times. It hurt at times. And I think you were used to certain, I mean, honestly, I think you were used to certain things that when it wasn't that, it was hard for you to just engage, you know, and to be there. We didn't know how to talk about it. Yeah. If if you were, let's say we drank some wine before we engaged in sex, we know that alcohol it makes us both less reactive. Mm-hmm. And so let's say that happened and we were engaged in sex. I had no idea how to not be frustrated that you weren't climaxing on cue mm. or that you didn't even, you weren't even going to climax. Like, mm-hmm. what am I supposed to do with that? I thought it was performance there. And so then you were like, Oh, well you just do it. And I'm like, well, are you even enjoying this? And you're like, yeah, but I know you're lying. Cause I'm intuitive too. And just all these things we don't know how to communicate mm-hmm. during that same act of, of making love my brain is going elsewhere and I'm going through my file cabinet of mm. pornography trying to think of something to get me turned on enough because obviously I can't be present. Mm. Obviously I can't think about what we're doing because I'm being sarcastic, but I didn't have the tools to do that. I wasn't taught how to be present in sex, even if it's not going quote unquote the way you want it to. Yeah. What does that even mean? Now we have a different perspective entirely about sex but we both came into sex always with like, okay, here's what's going to happen. You're going to orgasm. I'm going to orgasm. We're going to do these positions. That's how it's going to go. And so when it was like hard or it take it took effort, we immediately, I just shut down. But I'm in the middle of, of sex. And so I can't shut down because then you're going to ask me what's wrong. Yeah. So nothing can be wrong. So I have to access a file cabinet of pornography in my brain uh, and go to my, you know, go to my finder and go, okay, my finder, what's there? And then search for something. And then I'm now having sex, not with you. I'm having sex with an image mm. or somebody in pornography. And I just think that even if you're not talking about that, the spouses know. Mm-hmm. You knew something was off. You knew I wasn't making love with you. Mm-hmm. And it damaged sex so quickly for us mm-hmm. that we didn't know how to recover. And, and that's just one of the things. One of the things. <laughs> Go ahead. What else can my mind? No, 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 no. That could be a whole other podcast, yeah, I feel true. like, because there are many things. Okay. okay, so let's segue here, because I think it's a perfect segue. I mean, there's a lot of brokenness there, and I hope that our vulnerability wasn't too much. I hope it's not triggering you right now, but I hope that you're seeing that this is not easy for us to be transparent. I always think, man, we're too transparent on the podcast. And yet every comment I think that we get from a rating is like, I love how transparent they are. <laughs> So please keep adding five star, five star <laughs> reviews in the podcast, wherever you listen, 
please take a minute right now, hit a pause button, go write that review. <laughs> I could use the encouragement of thank you. They're so transparent and I'm appreciative. Um, but that's a great segue into why is he relapsing after sex? Mm. For me, it's the perfect, it makes total sense. Because we have these needs that sex will never meet. Sex was never, God did not design sex as a need. He designed it as a celebratory act between two people who have decided on covenant love, who have said, I'm with you through thick and through thin, through worse or for better, all these different things, poor, rich or poor. And what that looks like is for us to understand that, but we can also understand why there is more brokenness after brokenness. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to read the first sentence. I mean, literally the introduction paragraph in um in Mark uh, in Mark and Debbie Laser's book called Seven Desires. And it says that we we believe that God created us with seven basic universal desires. Each of us desires to be, here's number one, to be heard and understood. Number two, to be affirmed. Number three, to be blessed. Number four, to be safe. Number five, to be touched. Number six, to be chosen and to be included. Mm-hmm. Each of us desires to be heard understood, affirmed, blessed, safe, touched, chosen, and included. And I know that we talk about these as desires, but what I see in my life is there was needs included in those desires. I needed to be chosen. I needed to belong. I needed to be safe. I needed to be heard and understood. I needed to be welcomed in my brokenness. I needed to be loved and nurtured and cared for. And all those things are in there and as you break them down. And what's happening is as we engage in sex, I am becoming aware of all the things wrong with me. I'm not making her happy. I've hurt Charity, not just sexually because of intercourse. I mean, I've hurt her emotionally. I've hurt her spiritually. I'm not leading her well. I don't even know what sex is about. I feel, I feel ignorant and incompetent. I feel insecure all of a sudden. I'm feeling that I just was open about a piece of me that I've never really been open with anybody. I did have sex one time before marriage, but now we're engaging in sex and I'm being vulnerable and it is not working. It's not enjoyable. That must mean something is wrong with me. And I don't know where to take all those emotions and feelings. And so where am I going to go? I'm going to go right back to the drug that has always, quote unquote, solved my problem, but not really made more problems. But I'm going to go to the illegitimate way to meet those legitimate needs of being heard and understood and feeling safe and feeling like I belong and feeling loved and feeling wanted. Because even in the middle of sex, as crazy as that sounds, because Charity is being vulnerable with her body, she is opening up to me. She is saying, I want to be with you. I am still feeling totally rejected because I walk away from that intercourse session and that making love session, knowing that I did not make love to my wife. I made love to an image. I made love to something else. I'm having what people call addicted sex. And I was in that cycle for so long. And I could not figure out why do I continue to look at pornography an hour or two hours later after I engage in the most vulnerable act I possibly can? Why is my wife desiring or at least willing, maybe not desiring, but willing to have sex with me? But look at how much is underneath that. Mm -hmm. You were trying to have sex with me, not because you're like, man, I love you so much. I want to make love to you. I want to be with you. It was like, I don't want you to act out. Sometimes you did, though. I think there was not, it wasn't always that. Mm-hmm. But I just, there was such an internal narrative going on. Yeah. 
that led me back to my addiction time and time again. Why? Because sex doesn't meet those needs. Sex is an outcome and making love and having intercourse, all of that is an outcome of having those needs met by Christ, with my wife, with somebody else, and we can celebrate through sex. Sex was meant to be celebrated mm. through versus, okay, you know what? I know you don't feel like you belong. I know you don't feel like things, but let's just have sex. And I think what was happening was we were trying to fill that hole with something that cannot fill it. Sex cannot fill that hole of feeling like I don't belong or that I'm deeply wounded. And so when, when I try to use sex, whether it's in my marriage or it's with masturbation, pornography, when I try to use sex to meet a need that it cannot meet, it continues to be deficient. And therefore, I continue to go back to the thing that does meet my need in the moment. I think it comes back to remembering that pornography, masturbation, it tries to meet those needs. And, and by gosh, it does almost feel like it meets those needs. When I turn on, when I would go to pornography on my laptop or on my phone, it would right away be something that says, I accept you exactly as you are, exactly how you look, exactly how you feel, all of your brokenness. I want to be with you. And the way a person across that screen would look at me almost said, I want to be with you. Sometimes they would say it out loud. I want you. I want to be with you. And now I have the sense of belonging and acceptance. I have the sense of, I don't care what you've gone through. I want to be with you. I love you just the way you are. And I'm going to show you by being vulnerable, by being naked with you. And I think that so many ways pornography tries to meet those needs. It can't really meet them. It's a pseudo, right? Mm -hmm. It's a pseudo replacement. It doesn't actually meet them, but it feels better. It's like when we take ibuprofen for a pain. It's not fixing the problem. It's not fixing the broken finger, but it's making it feel like the finger isn't broken because I no longer feel the pain. And I just think that being intimate, it was painful because, not, I mean being intimate in all levels, being intimate emotionally with my wife, being intimate spiritually, being intimate sexually. It was painful because I truly believe deep down that I, you would never really love me if you truly knew all my thoughts. And as I engaged in sex with you, I took a step towards being known. And that was so triggering because deep down the belief was if you truly knew me charity you'd never have sex with me you'd leave me and i'm not fulfilling you sexually i could tell so therefore i'm a failure and i'm incompetent yet again and it's not working and truly i'm unlovable deep down because i'm a terrible person and no one really knows it. And those emotions don't get solved with sex. And so after we would have intercourse, after we have sex, try to make love, I would be filled with all these emotions. And of course, I'm going to go back to the addiction. Of course, I'm going to go look at pornography. Of course, I'm going to go masturbate. Because I had never learned how to handle my emotions in a healthy way. I hadn't learned how to go to people and explain what I'm trying to explain on this podcast episode right now. I had no one in my life who talked about these things. Couldn't go to my parents. Couldn't go to my pastor. Couldn't go to anybody. I felt like I just, no one talks about this stuff. I felt so isolated and alone. And those emotions were so big, I couldn't handle them. And so I would act out. 
I love you. Those are heavy, man. <laughs> yes, they are. Whew, that was heavy. It's very well said. Thank One you. thing I really uh, took from what you're saying is we have legitimate needs, hmm. right? Like God created us with desires and needs, and there's nothing wrong with these desires. But when they're being met with illegitimate things, then it's being your desire is not going to be met. And I truly believe that God can fulfill every desire that we have, mm-hmm. right? I really believe that because we were designed by him, for him. And, and I mean, you can get physical touch from a hug from a friend. Yeah. And God created them. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nope. And so that's why I feel so strongly too that, you know, you're not missing out if you're not married and you're single. Yeah. Because you can have your desires being met through community, through church, through authentic, vulnerable friendships with people. Yep. But one big thing is just so powerful is having legitimate desires and needs being met with illegitimate things. Yeah. I mean, that could be chocolate when you're feeling sad. It can be alcohol when you're feeling overwhelmed. TV, right. There's so games, many. Yeah, yeah. Social media hits. Uh, there's so many things that could temporarily make us feel a certain way. But yet at the end of the day, never really going to satisfy the desire that God has placed in our heart. Yeah. And that's what I hear you saying. Yep. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I think, too, you know, people talk about I, I, lately I've been interviewing therapists and clinicians and people that really know their stuff. And every time they keep saying that 100% of the cases who have an addiction, sexual addiction are rooted in trauma. Now I never, I, I, to my knowledge, I never had these humongous traumas that people talk about the big T. I had a lot of small T though. I felt neglected. I felt unsafe at times. I felt rejected by peers and teachers and things like that. And I never realized how those formed these core beliefs that were so negative. And I think that we need to ask ourselves after we have sex, which core beliefs are being triggered? Mm. Because remember that acting out sexually, we're trying to medicate something underneath. Mm. I'm not looking at pornography because I like naked girls. I'm not addicted to pornography because of that. I'm not addicted to masturbation because I like the way it feels when I masturbate. The feeling it's meeting a deeper need temporarily until it exposes that it didn't meet that need and causes further brokenness. But the question that I had to answer and dive into is after I have sex, what am I feeling? Mm. What am I really feeling? And am I feeling things that are tri- that are triggering my past? Am I triggered in my past? Now I want to change that real quick for the last five minutes of this podcast and ask you, just to relate to the broken women that are hearing this and the brokenness. Charity, how did you feel knowing that I was acting out after we had sex? Heartbroken. Because I, I really truly thought that like I I was enough, right? Yeah. And so then knowing that you were looking at other women made me feel worthless, made me feel yeah. not enough. And that's a core belief that I have. 
that I had discovered through therapy and trauma work is that I truly believe that I was not enough, that I was not worthy. And so that drove that core belief afterwards, knowing that like, wow, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not sexual enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not worth enough. And so he has to go look elsewhere to get better things in his, you know, just you being fulfilled. And so it made me feel worthless and it made me feel not pretty and self-conscious and undesirable Mm. and unpursued. So lots of things. And yet even in the midst of that, you're like, okay, let's just have sex more at times. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't go there. I mean, you're just talking about brokenness leading to more brokenness to more brokenness. I think it, it starts to begin to help us men understand the impact of betrayal trauma. Because if we were in your shoes and we were doing what you were doing, mm-hmm. we would be devastated. Just absolutely devastated at the pain. We'll never know what it felt like. We'll never know what it feels like. But I think it does help us be empathetic going, wow, look what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And look what I'm doing to you continually, even after you're trying to serve me mm-hmm. and love me and help me. Yeah. Wow. Hey guys, well, that's a wrap. (laughs) (laughs) I hope this at least related, Mm. hopefully educated, and the prayer is that it elevates you. We always want to do that with our podcast. It was relate, educate, and elevate, and and point you to Christ, point Mm -hmm. you towards the gospel of Jesus. Yeah, It's it's amazing how we've experienced now and learned that Jesus meets all those needs. Yes, he does. Tells us we belong. If we look at our identity in Christ, who we really are, we find that Jesus and the gospel— in his promises, in his presence, meet all of those needs. Can I pray for us as we close? Please. Do you want to say anything else? No, it's so good. Jesus, we just want to thank you. Lord, I just, uh, I picture me after having sex, finding some dumb reason to leave the house. And going and sitting behind a grocery store in the back alley or driving to a parking lot that was empty, pulling up inappropriate stuff on my phone to try to relieve the pain. And I picture this man who just doesn't know how to handle what he's feeling, that sex can be super triggering. And I just didn't know what to do with that pain. I didn't know who to go to. I felt so lost. And I look back, and Jesus, it's almost like I can see you in the the passenger seat wanting to comfort me, wanting to be there, wanting to help me experience your presence instead of running to pornography again and again. But I didn't know how, and I didn't know anybody else ever experienced what I was experiencing. Jesus, I just pray that this episode right here helps somebody know that they're not alone. And it helps them ask a question, Jesus, where are you in my pain? Where are you right now in the midst of the struggle? Maybe it gives wives an insight into the husband's internal battle that we don't know how to voice most of the time. Maybe it helps the husband be encouraged and take that next step of reaching out and saying, what do I need to do? to really fight for my marriage and get get this out of my life, but not just eradicate the behaviors that are unwanted, but actually discover how you, Jesus, meet the needs that I have deep down. Thank you, Jesus, that you can heal the wounds that are caused by others. Thank you that you 
are the God who meets us in our pain and sits with us in the, in the power of your presence. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the one that helps us make sense of the past. And even when we have questions, you comfort us in the unknown. Thank you, Jesus, that you are willing to walk through the hallways of our hearts and go into the places that we have locked that door and deadbolted it and said, I'm never going back in there. And you're with us saying, it's okay, we can go in there because you are not alone. I will hold you up. I will sustain you with my righteous right hand. Even as you walk through a place that feels like it is covered in dead and decay and pain and hurt and trauma, I want to walk with you in those moments so that we, so that I can show you how I am still a God that heals. I'm still a miracle-working God. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much, Lord. I pray for the people listening to this right now that they would be encouraged. They'd be able to maybe hit a pause on whatever they're doing at work, driving, listen to this as they're working out, and maybe just find a space to be with you and just pray a prayer they've never prayed before. And that's, Jesus, I need to invite you into this place that I've never invited you into before. And that they would take that time to do that, Lord. Thank you for being gracious. Thank you for being gentle. Thank you for walking with us patiently. You're so patient, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. All right, guys. We hope you have a good week, and we can't wait to... um See you next time. Yeah, in the next (laughs) podcast. I'm yours until the end of time. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for the upcoming course. You can also connect with us on the Ask Us Anything page at RestoredToMore.com. Also, quick note, all the work at Restored to More Inc., including this podcast, is made possible by our donors and financial partners. We wouldn't be here without those who have generously given to the cause of restoration. If you ever feel led to give, you can do so on the donate page on our website, 